0: Get me a drink now! Here's your hosts, Craig, Paula, and Mark, and their wacky views in drinks, life, and maybe information? Hey, folks, and hey, how are we doing? It's Craig here from Tiki Central Canada, and I'll be your host, your bartender, and mixologist for the hour, and hopefully get some information. This is going to be actually a very special episode. I've got Paula here, of course, as usual. How are we doing, Paula? I'm good. How are you? So what are you up to these days?
1: Just eating some cake, hanging out.
0: <laughs> Why is that? not surprised me. <laughs> Mark is on the show. How are we doing, Mark? I'm doing okay.
2: I'm doing better than okay. How's that?
0: I'm, okay, uh, what have you been up to?
2: I'm dusting off my rum bottles.
0: Anything special,
2: any special editions that we're looking at there, uh, Mark? Yeah, I just got, uh, well, I went to the uh, the LCBO, and I believe there's one in Orleans there. We got the uh, uh, the Real McCoy 12-year, so. I picked it up just two weeks ago. I know. Yeah, it's awesome. There's only very very few locations have it, so support it, and we'll get more. There we go. And also, the
0: reason why we're doing this via internet is because of our very special host, uh, our guest, Rob Bruner. How are we doing, Rob?
3: hi oh, hey, there are Metis. sorry that's the last I'm not gonna do that anymore so
0: <laughs> it's perfect because actually we need to talk about why we're we doing the show today why are we doing the show today Rob
3: well we're doing it because a uh, very special day in the heart of many pirates around the world it's the 19th of September is international talk like a pirate day oh that's my dad's birthday too ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. <laughs> Well, that means it'll be very easy for you to remember what the, how important this day is.
1: And guess what? It's even more important this day because it's the day that I arrived in Canada.
0: Oh. Oh, okay. Wow. Has some significance in.
1: Yes. So you'll
3: definitely remember that it's International Talk Like a Pirate Day.
0: Yes, of course. <laughs> so Rob, why don't you tell everybody who you are and your credentials?
3: Oh, yeah. So uh, yeah, my name is Rob Bruner. So I'm actually a, a member of the Royal Canadian Navy and... I've uh, I've helped with one of your, your previous shows with some of the naval terminology and such. But um, so my my side gig, I always say that, joined the Navy because I couldn't become a pirate. Um, and then things <laughs> kind of got out of control. And next thing you know, I've been in for such a long period of time. But uh, I kind of use this as an opportunity to, to learn the history of maritime lore, learn about pirates, uh, and even... Do a bit of reenacting as a pirate, a uh, member of the Thousand Islands Pirate Society. And we do some, we do pirate festivals around Ontario. The society has members from Quebec, Ontario, New York State. And part of what I do is uh, the education to have so people can learn what it was like to be on a ship during the, the golden age of piracy or just in general being part of a nautical crew, just how to, how to be a mariner.
0: Now, so you also told me in the past that you write a magazine article as well, right?
3: Yeah, so I'm a, I am a contributor uh, to the uh, Le Écho de Mares, which is a magazine out of Quebec. It's a, a pirate magazine. And I contribute, once again, I, every uh, month I contribute an article on maritime lore, an uh, uh, article called Jack Speak, which is actually specific Navy term, nautical terms of what they mean. Uh, this magazine has uh, readership, half a dozen languages, uh, English, French, Italian, German. Uh, it talks about, it has stories from all these different pirate festivals from around the world. Uh, it's available online.
2: Yeah. It's my turn. Pirate festivals.
3: Pirate festivals. Yep.
2: You're going to have to go more into that.
3: Oh, okay. Well, if you want to dress up like a Hollywood pirate and basically pretend to be a pirate, drink lots of rum and sing songs, And essentially really get away from the everyday kind of life. But a lot of these, some of these festivals are incredibly uh, detailed. There's one in Germany that actually they've built a village, an actual period looking sort of, you know, Tortuga sort of idea. Ones we have here in Canada, a lot of them are like, you know, temporary, you know, tents and, you know, things like that kind of set up on a temporary basis, like for a weekend or something. But yeah, some of the ones in Europe will go for like a couple of weeks. It's pretty impressive.
0: Cool. So that's why we have Robin to show. So because today, obviously, your show is all pirate themed, rum themed,
1: and navy themed. So we're doing a lot of coverage today. And because Craig fought with us, he didn't want to see our faces. So he's like, "Everyone, stay home. (laughs) I'm I'm
3: quarantined." (laughs) Yeah. Well, as as we say, remember one fathom. One fathom is six feet. The whole two yards, two meters sort of idea. So all of us pirates,
0: everyone stays one fathom apart. I like that. I'm going to use it from now on. I'm so going to use it from now
1: on. <laughs> and no one will understand you, Craig. What's the point? <laughs> Can I ask you a question, Rob? Oh, yes. Uh, you said that you couldn't become a pirate. Why is that? Is it because there are no pirates nowadays or are there, but it's just not a good deal to become one?
3: It's, um, well, if, funny enough, actually, I just came came back from a... Uh, um, uh, deployment with the Navy—that actually one of the the missions was counter piracy. Piracy is is going strong even today. Uh, Straits of Malacca, Horn of Africa. There is still essentially when you know people are are disfranchised and they just kind of they need to survive. Piracy will will always exist.
1: So it's like the Tom Hanks movie, the Captain yes.
3: Phillips. Yeah, very much so. That's that is actually a real story. That actually did happen. It's not as much around the the Horn of Africa because the Navy has got a a fairly strong presence there now. Yeah. But there's, like I said, in in Southeast Asia, yeah, essentially anybody can jump on a boat and try to take uh, another, someone else's boat full of stuff. That's the definition of piracy.
0: Yeah. So for people who haven't seen that movie, let's explain it. So the thing is, piracy now, it's very small ships, like motorboats, almost like Rob, right? Yes. I was going to say is also I noticed on that ship, on that movie, and if you haven't watched that movie, is that the tankers or these big, huge transport ships actually have things like hoses and things like that to hose these guys down so that you can't aboard their ship.
3: Yes. They're trying to trying to stop them. So they'll have like a, a support vessel somewhere and they'll be sent out with those little like 14-foot skiffs kind of motorboats. Uh, the ships now will have, like I said, the, the, the anti-boarding sort of they'll use... For their force protection, they'll use uh, fire hoses. A lot of them now, though, actually have mer- essentially mercenaries on board to protect them as well. So, you know, the thing about it, what stops a pirate is basically that you're not a good target. That's what, that's what stops them these days.
1: I'm shocked. I am. I'm absolutely shocked. I had no idea it was this real until today.
3: Well, piracy wasn't just in the, the golden age of piracy, that 1650 to, to 1720. It's been going on like 3,000 years BC. There's a, an Egyptian pharaoh talking about having his his ships attacked and ports attacked. So piracy, essentially, as soon as one person went to sea, then a second person went to sea, and they could become a pirate.
1: Wow. So I guess, I guess um, it wouldn't be a, a good job for you to be a Canadian pirate. I don't think it would be very...
3: <laughs> no it's it's more fun to play with it you know do the stage combat with the swords drink rum sing songs but that's also the you know they said once again the hollywood pirate idea the, the aspect of the the hollywoodism where all you think of is the good stuff not the you know disease you know a short life sort of a short but act you know short but exciting life sort of idea bad f- No, like
1: right now i'm i'm thinking more of the captain phillips pirates that i saw right yeah. like Yep, And you're telling me that's more of a real story. I cannot possibly imagine any Canadian doing that.
3: But, you know, when I was a kid, it was all very romanticized. You're like, ooh, this is cool. But I still wanted to be, you know, I wanted something to do with with the water.
1: Yeah, that I can understand.
3: Yeah, where I'm from, right on the lake. Uh, lots of sailing that goes on. There was a tall ship festival came to town and I was, uh, I was 16 just reading, you know, Horatio Hornblower books and Captain Blood and all that sort of stuff. And I see these big tall ships and think this is amazing and end up uh, joining the Navy to, to kind of play on the water.
1: Trust me. I'm, I'm from close of, to the ocean and I miss it madly. So I understand hundred percent. Yes. It's something you crave. You crave.
3: Yes. It, it's a your blood gets the salt in it and then that's and it never gets out.
0: Yep, for sure. Sounds like me in the tropics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as soon as I get to a beach, I'm like, dude, I'm there. I'm like I'm not going anywhere.
1: <laughs> Sounds like Mark and the flea markets.
0: Oh god, yes. Mark and the flea markets.
2: I know. They're not open, most of them. Makes me sad. oh
1: You'll be brand new to go for the the flea markets next year. Don't worry.
2: Oh, well, I did go to a thrift shop this week, so it was all good.
1: Okay,
0: <laughs> he, had, he had to get his fixing. That's it. He had to get his uh, yeah taste he of had- uh, deals.
2: Oh yeah, and I got him. I found a couple of LPs. There you go. Oh, <gasps> LPs are always nice.
0: That's vital records for the people who don't know what the hell that is. <laughs> yeah, for you, for you
2: people out there, that are-
3: that's that's really sad. People don't know that. That's making a comeback, though.
2: I've seen. Oh no, for sure. Vital is coming back. Yeah.
1: Why do you think Mark? Mark is buying them? Because he believes in that comeback.
2: <laughs> yeah, a lot of the people buying the LPs now are the younger people. They're very knowledgeable as well. I think that's from people my age having buying bought all the LPs and knowing which ones were garbage, and they can avoid those ones. So they only buy the stuff that they want, that they know are good. So it's mm-hmm. and they're doing it. They're uh, the, those youngsters out there. <laughs> they're just uh, they're the ones that are buying the vinyl. And everybody's buying, so vinyl is good.
0: Yeah, there we go. On that note, <laughs> see, it's already started.
1: <laughs> so, Craig, <laughs> for the Talk Like a Pirate Day, and our special guest Rob, what drink are we going to be talking about today?
0: So, the drink we're going to be talking about today is the Rum Runner cocktail. Ooh! Ooh! I know. It's got rum in the name, so it should be pretty good. Yes. I want to know right off the bat, will I like it, Craig? Uh, well, it does have uh, banana in there, pineapple in there, some orange juice. We'll go through the recipe, but we'll see.
1: Because I feel like you you avoided us there at your house today so that we didn't have to try it.
0: <laughs> That's it. This is all plot. So, Polly didn't have to try the drink. Exactly. You've nailed it.
1: So is it because I'm not going to like it? What is it? No, no, we'll, we'll
0: go through the drink, whatever. But uh, let's figure out the, what the name of it. So the name of the drink and reason why it became that name is because since we're talking about pirates, we figured that the best thing to do is talk about recent pirates. And in the 40s and 50s, basically that was Rum Runners. So that's where the terminology came from, because Rum Runners were, um, well, we'll get into more in depth into that, but that's basically the newer version of piracy. I guess we can call it.
1: Oh, okay. That's cool. And what is a rum runner? So a rum runner is
0: basically started off as a terminology during prohibition. So what that was is that the 18th amendment in the United States and a little bit of Canada too for a while, right, Mark? Why, yes. Uh, so what ended up pop was that? Yes. So what ended up pop was that the 18th amendment came into play and that rum was not being produced in the United States. And so what would happen is that these guys would take their ships, go down to the Caribbean somewhere, be it uh, Cuba, Jamaica, Bahamas, wherever they could go, and then ship back rum supplies back to the States, uh, right along the coastal line. So it could be like Florida, New York, even up into Newfoundland and in Canada, some of these guys did. And so that's where the terminology came from, rum
2: runner.
1: Oh, so they literally ran the rum up and down the coast, basically.
2: Yes, and also into New Orleans. So where did the drink come from? This one particular version.
0: Okay, so this drink actually was invented by a guy named John Ebert, or Tiki John, I guess he wanted to be called, at the Holiday Isle tiki Bar in Florida, which is now known as the Postcard Inn. And uh, if I remember correctly from a research, actually it's a speakeasy bar now. And so, anyways, it goes back to the What's a speakeasy bar? So a speakeasy bar was a bar that was basically created during Prohibition. And what it was, was that it'd be something like, say, like it looked like from the front, it'd be either a gas station, a laundry room, or a bookstore, but actually would have a hidden room inside the store itself that you go through. Say like if you're in a telephone booth and you dial a certain number, also the door would open up and the bar would be there in behind, hidden in the area. And so these became very popular during Prohibition, these speakeasy bars, And so that's what this bar actually eventually turned into, was a speakeasy bar.
3: That's really cool. I understand there's still a couple of those around, actually. Like a couple of, there's a couple of uh, bars that that basically pretend to be a speakeasy. You have to go to the back, the secret knock, which you get online somewhere, and they let you in, and it's like a speakeasy.
0: Yeah, exactly. So there actually is a whole bunch of them actually in New York. Uh, There's one where you go into a telephone booth, you dial 111. And the back of the, the booth opens up, and then it's actually into a basement where Speakeasy would be. So there actually, there's some Speakeasy, sorry, speakeasy bars even today. Exactly, Rob.
2: Yeah, I've been to a couple. One in uh, LA and, uh, and one in uh, San Diego.
0: Cool. What was the front of those ones?
2: Uh, one of them it was on the third floor or the fourth floor, and you didn't even know there was another floor. Now, all they had was they, the only clue they give you is uh, Alice. That's the only clue, and it's Alice through the looking glass. And they have a, a door, and it's a mirror door. You just push the mirror door, and then the staircase reveals itself. Oh, very cool. And the other one was in a locker uh, to, for the restaurant. Like Instead of walking into the uh, the uh, refrigerator closet, you walk into another huge bar.
3: That's cool. That's really interesting about the, the, the rum runner aspect of this, too, because uh the 18th, 18th century, when the English Civil started and uh, the British – or the, the English uh, crown, put a excise tax, was pr- placed on many luxury items to pay for the war. The people knew that they were paying more, not just for the luxury items, but basically things they also needed for everyday life. So many mariners, such as fishermen and such, uh, they turned to this lucrative but risky work of, of the smuggler. You know, They were they considered themselves free traders, but they were smuggling brandy, all that sort of liquor as well to, to give
0: to the people. Oh, so there you go. Rum running's been around for a long time now. Cool. So basically what there is, is that the reason why this recipe came into play or it was invented is because also too, we've realized in the past, we talked about this in the show before that after prohibition, there was a surplus of rum. And so rum is cheap and there was a surplus of it. So it was easy to create it and they actually had to get rid of it. So they made this drink just because of that reason.
1: So it's a very rummy
0: drink. I'm, I'm figuring. Uh, it's got two rums in there. Yeah, for sure. So, But like I said, they were just basically trying to find some ways to get rid of their supplies. Like we talked about the hurricane before in New Orleans. It was the same thing. If you bought a bottle of whiskey, you got a case of rum with it. So you had to find some way to get rid of all the rum. I see. I can't imagine that. (laughs) That sounds horrible. Too Too much rum? What? That can't happen.
3: No, inconceivable. <laughs> That's a pirate movie by the way. as everyone knows that Princess Bride is about pirates. So, It is one of the best pirate movie's ever made.
0: Oh, uh, yes, yes.
3: Are, are right, inconceivable? Right. Dread Pirate Roberts. Come on, yes. you've seen this movie many times no doubt.
1: I should probably watch it again cuz I don't think I remember it being pirate. I think I was just focused on the fact that she was a princess and he was a prince and I was good with that.
3: Oh, sorry, I'm having a heart attack here. Oh, uh, yeah, well, Dread Pirate Roberts, Wesley. Like he's a pirate. I didn't remember that. Sorry.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's Paula. Come on now. There you go. You're good now. So I will give you a bit of a note on the, uh, the postcard in or the holiday aisle Tiki bar. Yes. It's located at the 84 and a half mile marker. If you're heading down to the keys and if you're going south, you'll miss it entirely because you can't see it. We didn't see it until we're coming back from Key West. And I was like, Oh my God, there it is. So we just drove in. It was like, nine in the morning so we didn't get a drink and but there was all kinds of uh multi-tiered thatch bar that is apparently gone now thanks to a hurricane uh, yeah so but it's so it's
0: so mark you've actually been there
2: yes yeah, so i we yeah we drove in and drove out again because it was like nine in the morning
0: <laughs> yeah they don't start drinking that in the morning
2: yeah well we weren't drinking i was trying to go across this big damn bridge again and um so, yeah, we we missed it on the way down. We were going to stop in on the way down. We missed it entirely, and then we, we, when we got to where we were going, uh, they had a really nice bar there, and we ended up just staying there. But we found it on the way back just to say we saw it.
1: That must have been frustrating to you, Mark.
2: <sighs> You're going to Key West. You get the top down. Nothing's really frustrating.
1: Good. Good, good, good that you have that attitude. I would have been pissed. That'd
0: be like me being pissed on the beach because I couldn't get a drink. I'm on a beach, I don't care. That depends how much you're
1: paying for the service true uh, well nowadays no one will definitely no one has a problem with the with the surplus, <laughs> especially not Craig and Mark, as far as I'm concerned.:
0: No, no, I got my hundred and fifty bottles, so I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, you get a supp- I guess you have a supply of rum, I imagine. Oh, I
3: very much so. I, I,
0: um, I'm quite the collector as well. Uh,
3: I buy more than I can, I can drink, which people say, are you like, oh, you have so much rum, you, you must be an alcoholic. I said, well, no, because they would be empty if I was. These are all, you know. And I, I hate to say this. I actually also am very uh, easily marketed to if it's a really cool bottle and a label. Yeah, I'm the same way.
2: Oh, yeah. We're all so weak.
1: Oh, that's me with shoes and clothes and purses. I don't know what happens.
3: <laughs> well, I would say the rum section of the liquor store is like a Toys R Us for kids, or, or for adults, I mean.
0: it's
1: Yes, that's me in, a, in a Chanel store. I understand 100%.
0: Especially when I go down to the Caribbean. When I go to Caribbean, I go to a liquor store. It's just amazing to see all the different uh, rums. And uh, it's pretty cool because a lot of places we've been before, they actually have samples. So I'm like, oh, uh, oh. sign me up. Ouch. Oh, God, Norma has to have patience with you. Oh, she knows. That's part of the package when we go down the Caribbean somewhere.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's cute. I can imagine you're just trying out rums.
2: I'd like, that'd be a good store. I'd like to try out this rum, please. I
0: was going to say, I actually went to one where they had a 25 year old rum. So I got to try that out.
2: Nice. Well, that'd be nice.
0: So, uh, one of the things about this, because we're talking about surplus of rums, is that through time, though, and Mark has mentioned this before in the past, we talk about certain tiki recipes is that also those supplies go away and so this recipe actually has changed hands like what kind of rum you're using because of that so in other words through time like we talked about the mai tai there's some of these rums don't exist anymore so you have to change the recipe so we're not trying to change the recipe like we talked about in the past like we're making it something completely different we're changing the recipe because that rum's no longer available and we're just going to ch- substitute the rum for another rum right right mark we talked about that before with the mai tai
2: Yes, absolutely. They have to, you have to, yeah, you have to tweak it all the time. Just and uh, yeah, the Mikei runs out of their rum after, after ten years, right? You got to find another rum that make uh, has the same flavor profile.
1: That's sad. So, Mark,
0: what is your favorite rum that you have in your collection?
2: Favorite? Oh, that's like trying to decide which your favorite child. That's just I not fair. I
0: know. Just, it must have like a couple of bottles that are like you, are your like your go to ones, right?
2: Well, there's a couple of um, what is it? The uh, Oh my god! I'm so old. I'm looking right at the bottle. And I can't even Appleton. The um, <laughs> can't even read anymore. Help me! Put your
3: spectacles on, mate.
2: Yeah. So like, right in sitting in front of me, I have a Barbadian rum uh, called from Foursquare called Premise, and uh, that's a fave. I got a couple of bottles of that. It's
1: that's hard a to find. Fave, really, really. I'll millennial you. That's a fave. That's a fave. That's yeah. cute. There we go. I like that.
2: Uh, the, uh, Appleton 15 year, cause it's only available in Canada. And, uh, so I flaunt that a lot. A lot of guys don't like it because it tastes more like a whiskey or drinks more like a whiskey. It doesn't have the, the huge flavor profile as some of the Apple, the other Appletons. Uh, but I like it. And the other one I'm liking is, uh, because I like the, uh, Agricoles. I have this, uh, Rum Barb and uh, 15 year. That Every time I go down to the States, I bring a bottle back of that. So those are the three that I'm, and the, and the one we... Were, uh, and the the McCoy 12 year which we mentioned at the top or or off or off camera where. Yeah,
0: I haven't cracked that yet, so it's uh next on my list. And for you Rob, what is your favorite rums you got in your supplies other than the one you make yourself?
3: Yeah, it well, yeah, was a hard hard act to follow. Um well, one of the one of the ones I, I uh, was my favorite was unfortunately they don't make it anymore. It's uh, the, the company doesn't work anymore. It's uh it was called Pirate's Choice out of Key West. Oh wow. It was a uh, it was very hand, it was handmade handcrafted, uh, basically it was made, it was basically their offices were over the second floor over a dive shop, but they had a very nice molasses based and a key lime. The molasses one was just so smooth. It was a, it was basically a sipping rum. I have about two fingers left in the bottle. Uh, oh, but no. you know, unfortunately, I know. And it's like, Oh yeah, you know, make sure that i have measured every so often, make sure it hasn't evaporated or anything like that. Um, I'm actually uh, a Zacapa XO fan, kind of Guatemalan. Guatemalan oh, nice. and, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, matured in a uh, cognac barrel. So a barrel that was used for, for making cognac. So it's a, that is a definitely yep. a nice sipping rum with a nice cigar on a, on a nice evening. Uh, and as you said there, Craig, I actually, I, um, I'm not sure if I can say this, uh, it's, it's for personal use of course, and for friends, but I, I do make my own, I do make my own rum. I don't sell any, I, but it's a great bartering tool with other pirates. Uh, so, yeah, so I make a really nice spiced rum uh, with all of my own. So it's, I do an infusion. So, you know, it comes out with the white rum. Then I infuse it with uh, you know, a vanilla bean, a cinnamon stick, uh, allspice cloves, depending on what I'm making or trying to recreate. Will I try to put a little molasses or a little demerara? Then the other two are uh, pineapple mango. Uh, so wow, I actually put real nice. pineapple, real mango. That neat, the, the, the absolutely fantastic part of that is that when you finish, I usually let it sit for about uh, three months. I take out the fruit, uh, but it's very much like the worm at the bottom of a tequila bottle sort of idea. Uh, they're mm-hmm. very boozy. So they're frozen. And whenever you make a sangria, you throw a couple of those in there, so you oh, get a bit of wow. A rum taste in the uh, in in that. So yeah, so it's in it's I said it's it's it's, it's, uh, it's art and science to to make your own rum that comes out with a fantastic reward at the end. But still, you
0: know. Oh, sorry, I was gonna say. So, Rob, I mean, is there rums that you've found around the world? Because, like, I know about you, but when I travel around the like the Caribbean where I've been, I've seen some very exotic rums. So, in your travels, have you seen anything really exotic? <laughs> well, there's
3: a there's a good story. So, one of my missions with the military, I was with the uh, disaster assistance response team, and we uh, we responded to the super typhoon Haiyan in the Philippines uh, in 2013. Uh, wow. So, we were in um, Panay Island, and I'm out there doing my assessments, going around, and I got so we got in the vehicle where we were stuck behind this big truck, and the truck, I'm looking up, going, "That's that's sugarcane." And the, uh, the, the Philippine uh, army guy was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know what comes from sugar can, right? And he goes, oh, yeah, we're the biggest rum producer in the region. I'm like, excuse oh, me? Wow. Uh, so, yeah. So next thing I know, I was able through some connections uh, to get uh, a couple of bottles. And the name is completely escaping me right now. But I brought back a couple of different versions. That uh, and the high high grade one was absolutely exquisite. Okay, one of the bottles had a really cool chain around it and all sorts of stuff, so I had to get that one. But uh, because once again, like I said earlier, I'm easily easily swayed by something that looks cool. Uh, but yeah, the 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 rum it was a, it was a dark spiced rum, and it had the it is it was also remi- it just reminded me of the island, very Spanish sort of theme on the island and uh, the rum that that they produced was actually, was very, very clear, or not clear, but very, a clear taste to it that was rich in that real sugar cane, like that cane sugar taste to it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was, that was one of my, that was one of my, uh, my surprises that I discovered.
0: Nice. There's nothing better than actually finding a, a hidden treasure somewhere like that. Just like a pirate looking for treasure. ha ha ha. <laughs> exactly. Every so hey, often go. I have to
3: throw that in It's still the pirate show So I still have to kind of talk that way a bit That's right, we do,
0: we do, it's true
2: Yeah, uh, There was a little company in um, uh, Fort Lauderdale That was making their own rum And they did a um, grilled pineapple rum Oh There you go, try that, it was fabulous
3: I got to try that, grill it first, then put it in Thank you, I'll, if I make that And it tastes great, I'll credit you for it There
1: you go <laughs> do you know how little I know about rums and stuff Funny enough, I actually know the Zacapa XO because it's daddy's and husband's favorite.
3: Ah, oh, there, there you go. go. Yeah, Guatemala. It's a beautiful Guatemalan rum. When I was in Guatemala, my friend said, "Hey, you gotta try this." I'm like, okay, like, you know, yeah. So yeah, okay. So that I, that means I backed up with some high level, uh, high level uh, substantiation. Uh yeah,
0: Italian mafia. I swear to God.
1: Yes. So uh, so tell us, Craig. I want to know the recipe of this drink. I want to know if it's something Paula would like or Paula would pucker face. Well,
0: let's find out. So uh, next time we're together, actually, I will make this drink for you so I can see if we get the pucker face from you or not. You know, and we'll go from there.
1: Sure. Because I don't I don't want to forget to try it. This is the Saturday.
0: oh Oh, no. I'll, I'll remember. Yep. Uh, yes. We're having a Tiki, Canada, sorry, Tiki Central Canada party this weekend. Excuse me. It's this weekend. So it should be fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so let's go through the recipe. It's going to be one ounce of light rum. So you can use any kind of light rum, uh, Bacardi or whatever you got in your, in your hands. Uh, one ounce of dark rum or aged rum. So really, is, this is not very specific to any particular rum. Because remember, like I said, the rums through the years have changed. So it really is, comes down to whatever your preference is. Uh, one ounce of blackberry liqueur. So it's actually Shambord. Um It's one of the funniest because it's one of those bottles everywhere I work. It's like every bartender is intimidated by it because they don't know what it is. Or how to use it. And for me, actually, I love using Chambord. Uh, it's one of my favorite liqueurs. Between.
1: I love blackberry. I'm, I'm actually excited to try this now.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's some, really some easy recipes with Chambord. Like you could just take Chambord and some pineapple juice and away you go. You pretty well get a really cool drink. So the rest of the recipe is one ounce of banana liqueur, one ounce of pineapple juice. A lot of fruit here. Yeah, One ounce of orange juice and a splash of grenadine. And that's the recipe. What type of flavor is grenadine again? So grenadine is like a, a sweet pomegranate. If you get real grenadine, not the artificial grenadine that we talked about, you can get it at the store, right, Mark? Indeed.
1: Indeed. Oh, I miss hearing that.
2: Yeah, you can just, uh, you can like, as we go through it every time we record this, you can make, it's so easy to make your own, or you can just go to the store and buy the stuff that tastes more like cornstarch or corn syrup rather, than actual flavoring. And it's so easy to make your own with just uh, a pomegranate juice and a little bit of sh- sugar and you're done. There you go. Very cool. Oh, so do you, uh, is this a blender drink? Do you shake it? Do you stir it? So you actually you can blend this drink
0: or you can build this drink. So we're going to go through the two different processes. And so if you're going to blend this drink, you can use, you can take two cups of ice, all the ingredients, you go put that into a blender. Yeah, blend it to It's about smooth. So give make sure there's no more chunky ice cubes in there. Uh, and then you can pour that into a hurricane glass. Now, if you want to, the option is you can float a 151 dark rum on top. So I know Mark, because he loves his rum, and I'm sure Rob as well would do this as well. So you float 151 dark rum along the top. Some gunpowder-proof rum to put on the top there. Mark, would you do the same thing A Ticket?
2: Lemon Heart 151 on the top, please.
0: <laughs> I would do the Gosling 151, because it's a nice dark Bermuda
1: rum. There we go. I feel like the floating part is where you would lose me on the drink.
0: Yeah, I I'm your on yours, Paula, I wouldn't put the 151 because you're you don't like booze for it. You like something that's booze like less booze. So I wouldn't put the 151. So if you don't like a lot of booze, you probably won't don't float the 151 on top.
3: Yeah, you have to drink through the 151 to get to the rest of it. That's right. You're already starting off in a good way. Woohoo! <laughs> As Robert would say you're probably floating. Mm-hmm. Flopsum and jetsam out there on upon the seas.
1: Oh, see, I know those from The Little Mermaid.
3: Do you know the difference? Do, do you want me to save that for do, did you know or do you want me to like just kind of Wait.
1: Wait, 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 wait. You're talking about Little Mermaid. That's right up my alley. Like I know all the songs by heart until this day. What tell me about flotsam and jetsam now.
3: Okay. Well, flotsam and jetsam are actually two different things there. They actually are essentially jettisoned uh, or a from a wreck that's on the that's floating on the water. They're they're basically a specific term for marine debris. Uh, often described like odds and ends and each, but each word does have a specific meaning under maritime law. So flotsam is defined as debris on the water that is not deliberately thrown overboard. So basically something from a shipwreck or an accident. So it's, it is derived from the French word uh, floater or to float where jetsam though describes debris that was deliberately thrown overboard or jettisoned. So by a crew or you know, a ship in distress. So most often to lighten the ship's load. Uh, so Jetsam, it was originally Jetsam, but it was just, you know, because British sailors lazy, you just want to say something quick, so it's Jetson. So, But the, the Maritime law is actually very important. So Flotsam can be claimed by its original owner, whereas Jetsam can be, can be claimed basically as salvage, whoever, uh, whoever finds it. So if the Jetsam is, is valuable, the discoverer may collect all sorts of proceeds received for the sale of it and such. Um, if you, 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 you pick it up, you, you take it and you look at it and see what it is. You know, if it's just like a, a barrel of, of rum floating in the water or, uh, base, yeah, like brandy or something from a, from a smuggler, uh, you could take it and just classify it as, as, uh, as salvage.
1: So now I think it's really cute that Ursula named her pets that.
3: Yes.
0: They're odds and ends.
1: Oh, Oh, they're not so bad anymore.
0: Yeah. So, question for you, Rob. Actually, so you talked about flotsam. So, if say there's a shipwreck and you go down and salvage some pieces from that, you said the original owner actually has claim to that. Like, how does that work for like salvaging something that's back from like the 1600s or the 1700s? Yeah. So the wreckers.
3: Yeah, wreckers. They actually uh, that was a thing they they did off like, especially in uh, on on the the western coast. They would uh, basically with the lighthouses, they would people would try to uh, like build a bonfire or something to lure ships onto the rocks and wreck. Mm. And the debris that would float ashore, they would take it and and basically steal it. But the owner did have the right to take it back. So that's why it was there was always a race to go down there and and take as much as they could and hide it before the owner would find out, and get the authorities, you know, the British Army or whoever, customs agents, come down and try to take it all back or arrest people who were in possession of that those
0: items. Oh wow. Okay. There you go. I like that. Cool answer.
1: Okay. So Craig, you spoke about the blended one. Now yes. or the floating one. The floating one was on top of the blended, the the
0: 151 float. Right. So we blended that and then we floated the 151 room on top. Yes. Okay. But you said that you can, you can blend it or build it, right? Right. So let's talk about how you're going to build this. So to build it, what you're going to do is you can take all those ingredients. You're going to put it into a hurricane glass, add some ice. And then if you want to, again, optional, float the 151 on top like you like. And that's the build. It's very easy. So basically put it pour all the ingredients in the glass, put some ice in there and you're good to go. Super easy. And is there any garnish
1: and is the garnish the same for blending and building?
0: Yeah. So the garnish on this for both of them would be an orange slice. Again, they made this drink super easy. I know we talked about in the past, like some of the garnishes are like the end all to be all for the drink, like the Mai Tai and things like that. But these guys, I guess it was just more like just get them out and get these drinks out fast and quick. So the orange slice is on both of them and that's it. Just sip away.
1: Cool. Cool. And now I have one last question. Which one do you think that I will prefer?
0: I think the build one, because I think that the blended one, I mean, even for me, I think, I think the build one would be a better one. Uh, the blended, I, I, I find with blended drinks that uh, the longer that they're in the glass, the ice starts to water it down faster. I mean, uh, Mark can chirp in on this and Rob can chirp in on this, but I think that blended drinks, like you get a pina colada within minutes, the things watered down.
3: Yeah. Very much so. It, uh, you get like one or two sips out of it. Then after that, it
0: goes downhill from there.
1: And isn't it good for me, though, that, that kind of scenario? I
0: guess so. I guess for you, the blended would be the better way to go. Okay. And Mark, what would you think?
2: i go to the 7-Eleven for my blended drinks.
0: <laughs> yes, we talked about that before. It's funny because Mark is saying a joke that we know because it was recorded on the last recording, but it never made the show, and Rob doesn't know the joke. So the joke is that we talked about, um, I think it was blended drinks or something like that. And Mark said, all I do is I go down to Seven Eleven, and I've got my bottle of rum and there's different flavors. There's strawberry, there's raspberry, there's whatever it is. And I make my own drink. Okay.
2: <laughs> and you walk out and one place we saw the sign says, please, please do not mix your alcohol in the store. And it was just like, yeah, okay, I'll wait. But <laughs> so yeah, but I love that. And now there's, we know all the good flavors are disappearing now. So now you only have like uh, Coke and uh, Dr Pepper and stuff like that. So there's no more lime and strawberry and banana and stuff like that. So
1: rum and Coke slushy. That sounds a bit gross,
2: indeed. So no, I, I don't mind a good blended drink like a like a blended margarita out of the machine. We uh, we did an episode on that too, talking about uh, the Jimmy the Jimmy Buffet machines. Yeah. Those those taste fine. Yes, there's nothing wrong with them. So, what about the uh, this namesake, the Rum Runners? Here, tell us more about uh, any of them. Anybody in particular, or just tell us more about the Rum Runners? Yeah. So,
0: the Rum Runners actually started off with a guy named William McCoy, or the real McCoy in quotations, which actually is you know a phrase we've all heard. And so, what ended up happening is that it started with his adventures in a motorboat service, and he had a boatyard in Florida, the beginning of the 1900s. But well, what what happened was that when Prohibition kicked in. He thought, like, wait a minute. Now we have an opportunity here because now rum is not being produced in the states, but we could go down to the Caribbean and get our rum supplies from there and bring it back up to the states and sell it there. So he actually purchased his very first schooner, which was called the Henry L. Marshall. And the first run he ran, uh, whiskey, he didn't actually run rum, but so he ran uh, 1,500 cases of whiskey, uh, which was $15,000 in profit. This is back in 1920. So today's terms, that's $200,000 in profit on one run. Wow. Very cool. Yeah, so actually he got his nickname because he, what he do was when he was transporting rum to, from NASA to the East Coast, like we talked about all the way up the East Coast, even up to Newfoundland, he uh, never watered down his supplies. So a lot of the guys that were transporting rum back then, even or even producing rum in the States, would water it down. I'm sure we've all seen Westerns, you know, where they talk about behind the bar, there's the, the regular stuff and then there's the good stuff. And so the same thing was with the William uh, Williams version of the rum. He never watered it down. It was a real McCoy. And uh, so he never watered it down like the competition did. And so that's how he got the term real McCoy as his nickname. But he's also certainly learned, learned one thing, though, about the coastal line, was that when you go along the coastal line, there's actually international water line. So what I mean by that is that three miles offshore, if you're in those areas, and I'm sure Rob can confirm this from a naval perspective, then you're actually what's called international waters. You're actually not in American territory. Well, do you know why it was uh, th-
3: why it was uh, like it was three miles initially? You know why it was three miles? Uh, no, I don't actually. That was the range a gun can fire, a cannon from a fort, a 24-pound long Wow. So if you were if your ship came inside, you know, outside from international waters into territorial waters. You could blast them.
2: Oh, okay. So it was a survival thing,
3: pretty much. Yeah. So you couldn't you couldn't hit someone outside of the range of the gun. So if you couldn't go, if you couldn't hit someone outside of the range, oh, ah, yeah, okay, that's international law. That's that's not our territory.
1: Nowadays, it's just when the casino can open. <laughs>
3: yeah, true. And that was like twenty four miles. It's all sorts of two hundred miles economic exclusion zones, all sorts of stuff. But back then, it was quite simple. Basically, if, if it was if I couldn't hit you with my cannon, then that wasn't my territory.
1: Who makes the laws of the sea?
3: Rob, well, it's international. It's a UN. Basically, it's a people come together. Uh, representatives from each nation come together. The UN, and they come up with these rules, and then everybody votes on them and ratifies them.
0: Okay, so yeah, so this three mile range that we're talking about, which is international waters, William finally learned that all he had to do is basically go right along the international line, and then these little ships or boats would come from the shore out to his boat, and he'd sell the rum to them from there. So he was never actually in territory american territory so he actually wasn't breaking any laws now of course down the line the aussie they figured out like okay he's out there he's he knows where he's at so they eventually did actually at one point arrest him because he was transporting rum from uh, the Caribbeans to the states um i can't remember exactly the story of like how they arrested him because he wasn't in international waters but something to do with you know transporting anyways but these little boats would come up and uh, from the shore to his boat and buy the the supplies from him. So these boats eventually had to get faster and faster because of the Coast Guard. And so this is where the speedboat actually was invented. The speedboat was invented so that it could outrun the Coast Guard and get back to shore. This was a really good opportunity for a did-you-know. Oh, we've got more going on here. This is, This is the beginning of our show. We've got so much more information for you folks.
2: Okay. Yeah. Well, here's where I got to interject from being in other bars. In New Orleans, there's a bar called the Black Duck Bar, and uh, it's the home of the New Orleans Rum Society. And uh, the Black Duck was a, one of those souped-up boats that was carrying rum into uh, Louisiana. And it was finally uh, cornered by the, the Coast Guard and shot up, and a number of members in the crew were killed. Oh no! Yeah, and this was one of that incident uh, was one of the things that actually started leading to the end of prohibition because they said, "Is it really worth it killing people to stop influx of liquor into the country?"
1: Yeah, uh, back to the back to the the other boy, Rio McCoy. What are the other cool stories that you have about him?
0: So one of the stories that I learned from research and and one of the documentaries I watched about him was that so. Uh, A lot of these Rum Runners were actually basing themselves down in NASA, Bahamas. And there was a hotel that they would all hang out at. And so the U.S. uh, Marshals actually sent a guy down there to try to get some more information. And so they kind of figured out, because he's a stranger, they didn't know who he was. and All the Rum Runners know each other uh, in this situation, in this hotel. And so this U.S. Marshal goes down there to get some information And pretty well, right off the bat, they figure out who he is. And so William actually comes along, grabs the guy, and pulls him into his hotel room and says, look, I'm going to put you back on a boat tomorrow morning. You need to get out of here or you will not live the night. So he actually saved his life and put him back on a boat safely back to the United States. So here's a guy that's breaking the law, and the U.S. Marshal's trying to chase him down, and yet he ends up saving his life and bringing him back to the States.
1: Oh, that's nice of
0: him.
3: I was gonna say that uh, the term actually for a, a smuggler specializing in liquor is called a flasker. Ah. So
0: very
3: like cool if you hear someone call a flasker, if the, the flaskers are coming, that means that there's a bunch of smugglers who have uh, liquor. And when on a if a excise agent uh, boarded a smuggler's vessel, the term rummaged, everyone's returned like you rummaged through something, mm-hmm. that is actually the act of searching a
0: smuggler's vessel. Oh wow. They're looking for rum. Did you know I did not? I did not. Okay, so since we're talking about a talk like a pirate day, which is September 19th, we also brought in Rob, like we said, as our special guest today. He's has some cool pirate facts and maybe some phrases that you could use for the day of talk like a pirate. Rob, the floor is yours.
3: <laughs> the deck is mine. Of course, the deck is the is basically on a ship. That's the, you know, the upper, the floor of the ship. You would call it a deck. So first of all I'm going to say, basically give you a couple of terms you can give somebody, like you could call somebody on the 19th of September. So anybody know the term cod swallow?
0: No. No, I did
3: not. That means a load of nonsense. So if you say, you're, hey, mate, you're full of Cod's wallop. So that was from Haram Cod in 1875, created a process for bott- for bottling carbonated water, which would remain drinkable for longer on for a voyage. So the term wallop was a slang for beer. So before rum was used on ships, they had beer and the this carbonated water stored for longer. So if a sailor felt hard done by, if basically all they had was this, this stored water to drink when all the beer was gone. And so they call it Codswallow. And if you're basically, if you have somebody who is uh they're, they're talking to you and you're kind of just staring at them and you tell them, Hey mate, you're back, you're backing and filling.
0: Okay. Backing and filling. Okay.
3: What that means is you're basically constantly changing position on a decision or argument. So someone is like, you know, they're, they're, wolf, they're, they're not making a decision. So to back a sail was you basically would change the the angle of the sail on the mast to take the force of the wind from ahead, which made actually the ship go backwards. Filling meant you moved it in such a way that it would actually fill with wind from astern and push the ship forward. So backing and filling mean that you were basically taking the ship forward and backwards. You weren't actually making you were actually you weren't deciding on what direction you wanted to go to. That's me. So you <laughs> uh, Here's another term you've probably heard before. It's maybe a little more dark, but it's uh, a stick in the mud. I've heard that term. But I don't
0: know what it means, but I've heard it. Yes.
3: You're basically nowadays the, the expression is used to mean that someone is not likely to be uh, persuaded or change their opinion. You're, you're an old, you're an old stick in the mud, but originally it was used to refer to someone of no consequence. You're, 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 you're worthless to me. You're a stick in the mud because in old, the old English practice, when they uh, sentenced a pirate or a mutineer to death, they were, when they were executed, they were basically buried in the Thames river.
1: Wow. Okay. Yes. I can see how that, would be a stick in the mud.
0: <laughs> this is a dark show, yeah. Rob,
1: come no, on.
3: Suddenly, it got all dark. Okay, I'll, I'll get happier. So, of course, everyone's heard of three sheets to the wind, you know, this this group probably with lots yes. of tea drinks, three sheets to the wind. Yeah. So basically what that meant is in the old for, for a nautical term, this expression meant uh, for somebody who didn't have control of the vessel because the sheets. So the sheets or lines were used to control the sails. So you would haul in the sheet to control which direction the sail was and how much of the wind you could capture. If you had let go all the sheets, the wind would flap, you would have no control, and the ship would just basically turn into the wind. So that's where that three sheets of the wind came from.
0: So that's why we're all drunk. Because we can't control ourselves. Yes. We don't know where we're going. But here's some specific pirate ones. So did,
3: did pirates actually make people walk the plank? I don't know. I don't think so, but we, you can explain that one, yes.
2: In the movies, they did.
3: Yeah, exactly. So much of pirate legend, let's say, are res- the, the responsible parties are Robert Louis Stevenson from Treasure Island and Walt Disney, essentially. So the walking the plank and hooks and peg legs and parrots are pretty much fictional. Really? Big hats, big boots. A pirate essentially looked like a sailor of the day. Didn't have had was barefooted. Uh, Would wear slops, which were basically pants that were made by cutting out uh, sail cloth material and sewn together to make a pair of pants.
0: The, the other thing I want to mention, too, is that just think about like, you know, when you see it in movies and you don't, it's actually not in real life is that. So the captain actually is almost like voted in as the captain. And he also could be voted out as a captain. Yes. So you don't see that in movies because you see the captain, you just see the captain always in charge and everyone like kind of like whatever he says goes. Well, no, that's not true. It's actually, um, yeah, they were voted in and out by the crew.
3: So they were voted in and out. They were actually decisions during while their ship was just sailing around was made by the crew as a whole. Uh, the disciplinarian was the quartermaster who actually would then would uh, enforce any rules or any articles the ship would have. But when the ship went into battle, when they went to actually seize another ship, the captain's word was law. Everyone followed what the captain said. If you weren't doing that, the captain said, we're going to do this. And everyone was like, ah really i don't really want to do that it's uh, what about this over here i don't think you're looking after us many a captain was actually deposed and some were actually occasionally were actually marooned kicked off the ship if they were deemed to be that they were not looking after the crew they weren't uh, being aggressive enough to try to take other to take merchant vessels um and they said just basically not being a captain they didn't if they consider you're out
0: exactly so in the part of the caribbean uh, sorry, just too quick. Uh, so the Pirates of the Caribbean, if you remember, uh, there's one point there where uh, Jack Sparrow is actually deserted onto an island. And that's exactly what it is. Basically, he's been demoted as a captain and then put onto the island to be uh, deserted.
3: Pretty much the only accurate thing of the entire movie series.
0: <laughs> it's true. It's true. Paulo, are you going to chirp in there?
1: Yeah, it's just that it's funny that he says the thing about the boots and you know the the wardrobe because I can... I can definitely, like, how come we never thought of this before? Like, why, why would anyone dress that way with big boots and, you know, pants and all dressed up to be at sea? There's no purpose.
3: Exactly. I always say when I'm, when we're doing our festivals and we're dressed up, our stage combat or singing or whatever, we're all dressed up with that stuff. Because I say it's better to look cool than to be cool. Oh, but man, when you look, you look awesome with all that stuff.
1: So here's my question to you when you when you guys are doing your acting you do it as Walt Disney
3: Hollywood Pirates most of the time Hollywood Pirates yeah cuz that's what a lot of people want to see you know there will be people who will dress you know they'll dress in basically come kind of with not ripped up clothing but very simple clothing a wool cap barefoot all dirty yeah but you know that's that's not much fun so yeah i see kids it's all about the kids right with these a lot of these these festivals and such
1: so i guess i'm just wondering if if it's something that you are trying to change is that perception but I guess there's no point, right? Like,
3: well, was, but once again, it depends on. On we have different groups. There are different groups out there that will do very specific. They will be accurate historical reenactors, and they will dress perfectly right, and they will act correct, and they will. Their their encampment, like they'll set up uh, for us in the Thousand Dollars Pirate Society. We actually do set up tents and things like that. Uh, but you'll see the the real, like some really accurate reenactors will be, they'll have their own small gig, like a small boat, of uh, about 22 feet long with oars, and they'll do all the proper commands. And, so
1: some people really take this seriously, I'm guessing. Very much so. Oh, wow. That's awesome.
3: But then there's the people like us who just want to basically sing and drink and fight like pirates. You want to be pirates for a weekend. Exactly. And you want, you want to be entertaining. Be entertained and, and be entertaining.
0: Exactly, yeah. Uh, actually, when I was in the States, it was actually pretty cool. I saw a reenactment of a, the Civil War, like 1812. And so they actually had the tents, the camps, uh, all their uniforms were legit, their guns and everything. And uh, yeah, they right down to the nines. I mean, it was pretty amazing.
3: Yeah, during uh, the 1812 or like the 2012 celebrations and uh, commemorations, there was a number of those 1812 era uh, reenactments at some of the battlefields that actually the battles took place. So over uh, at um, Upper Canada Village and those areas around that, they did some uh, really elaborate uh, reenactments there.
0: Cool, very cool. Yeah.
3: So like for us, like we said, we do we do the stage combat. Like the small group I have, we do uh, all the stage combat stuff with metal swords, but it's very Hollywood style. Fighting, You know, like you see in Pirates of the Caribbean with the big, huge emotions and this sort of stuff. Whereas if you did accurate sword fighting, someone would like wave their sword around and you would just kind of poke him in the chest and kill him. Okay. Right. It's very over over the top,
0: basically,
1: yes. All this happens in Kingston?
3: Uh, different places. So the, the biggest, the big one here in Ontario was the, uh, the Guelph Pirate Festival. And it's usually, of course, not this year but usually it's the um, the August long weekend so it's a 3-day festival in Guelph Ontario in one of the uh, one of the parks but there's other little small ones around you'll get ones in northern New York state and and uh, around but that the biggest one that's that one in Ontario is the biggest one we used to have one in Gananoque near close to Kingston I don't do that one anymore but uh, yeah you have like bands uh, so playing pirate music all done up by pirates and Wait there's pirate music? Oh, 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 oh. oh yeah Yes, there is well, you think about, you know, Barrett's Privateers, you have all the other like kind of maritime music that you'll, that uh, exists out there. The classical uh, maritime music, you know, i well, am um, uh, drawing a complete blank right now. My
2: <laughs> So lots of squeeze box music? Yeah, essentially. You
3: know, fiddle with with a drum. Because uh, actually sailors used music to work. So you had different types of music. You had uh, like folks music. You had... Fauxhall music would be like on the, the bow of the ship when people want to get together and just enjoy themselves. But you had other ones that were actually for specifically for working. Uh, hauling mm-hmm. shanties. So when you were all in a group and you were hauling mm-hmm. those those lines to raise the sail, you wanted to do it all in rhythm. So it would be a one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. So it would. You had another one was called a capstan shanty, which was when you're raising the anchor. So you have that big round thing somewhere on the ship with the big spires that stick out, and everyone surrounds it, and then it kind of marches mm-hmm. in a circle. So it would be a very one, two, three, four sort of sort of rhythm. And so these, this music just sort of grant just kind of grew out of out of that and became more for entertaining.
1: The the one thing that I think of when you say it's music for working, I can I can only picture the dwarf singing, "Hi ho, hi ho." <laughs> you you would not be incorrect
0: (laughs) lots of whistling
3: which is not a good thing to do on a ship yeah whistling is not allowed on a ship i heard that. so whistling or singing was was forbidden because it would be you could say you would be whistling up a storm ah Uh, but there was one person on the ship who could whistle who does anyone have an idea the cook the cook you are correct because why do you think the cook couldn't, why do, why do you think the cook could whistle? Because he cooks already. Well, if, you, if he's whistling, you know he's not eating the food. That's true.
0: Oh, good one! Yeah, I like it.
3: The other, the other reason why you um, like the the real, like an actual technical reason why you wouldn't whistle is that on board ship, a lot of the times the boats the call like it's, a, it's an actual like metal whistle would be used to give commands to the men, So the guys who are actually up in up on the um, on the yards who are actually m- moving the sails as well. So you'd use a whistle because that goes a lot farther than a voice. Yeah. So if someone started to whistle, like so you might actually, someone might do something they're not supposed to do, and someone could get hurt.
1: Unbelievable! I never thought that watching reality TV would help me, and it just did today. Exactly. Because I watch uh, a show called Below Deck.
0: <laughs> Love Below Deck. <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, I'd say in theater, you're not allowed to whistle either because a lot of sailors. When they left the ship or something, they actually would work behind the sets, would work in theaters. And so they because they would be up in the rigging to maneuver things like sets or lights, and they would use whistles to give commands to each other, talk to each other to do things. So once again, if someone was whistling down on the stage and they did something and someone let go one of those big giant weights, you know, something out of Bugs Bunny, and, you know, somebody could get, could get hurt.
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. So what are there some other suppositions that you've seen, Rob? Because I've seen one example, like uh, Norbert Apollo just talked about below the deck. We saw one where they actually had crows. They were, they were docked, and they were ready to leave the dock. And they noticed that there's black crows flying around their mass. And they said, oh, that's not a good thing.
3: Yeah, so sailors were incredibly superstitious people. Mm-hmm. They would, everything would mean something to them. So, like black crows? Yeah, crows uh, was a harbinger of death. That they knew that oh, this is not going to be a good, a good, uh, a good voyage if they saw crows around them. You know. cool. Same as like if beware the lurking shark it was called. So if a shark's falling in the ship, that was a sign that someone on the ship was going to die.
0: Oh so wow! Like, oh. <laughs> <Jeez>. uh, yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> was like oh okay, renaming a vessel is actually bad luck.
1: Till this day, I still know people that, that don't rename the vessel.
3: Yeah, because they, they say that a vessel develops a life or a mind, a soul of its own, like when it's christened or when it's named. So all the adventures and journeys and such, it develops a soul. So when you rename a vessel, it's like you're trying to take that away from the ship. I was to say that you could do a ceremony. There was actually a special ceremony where they would take the name of the vessel. They'd write it on a, a piece of paper or carve it on a piece of wood, uh, put it in a wooden box and then burn the box after which you scoop up the ashes and throw them in the sea. So very, once again, I a very superstitious lot that are, are pirates or are sailors in general. So then they could rename
0: the ship, but you had to go through this process. Right.
1: Question to you is, uh, was, do you, are, are sailors still superstitious? Or is this just from the past?
3: Oh yeah, we still are. Cause well, in the past, you think that in the past going to sea, especially outside of land was really scary because you know, navigation was very elemental back then. Uh, you know, you're looking at the clouds and you're trying to figure out what's happening and you're looking for any sort of Nine. signs. So someone like a master navigator, like if you seen the movie Moana, the thing about the really interesting about Moana is it's very accurate on some of the navigational techniques back in that day. Looking for like when she puts her hand in the water and she's looking for a change in temperature and she's looking for the currents. Uh, looking for birds, like actually one of the things they do by the crow flies, like they would actually would carry like Viking vessels would carry crows. When they thought they were getting close to land, they would let them go. And a bird for some reason just knows which way to go to land. We
0: used it last year.
3: Yes. Oh, right. Of course. Right. So nowadays there's still, you know, even though we have electronic navigation, we have satellites, we have GPS, we know where we are to essentially, you know, within a foot sort of idea. Still, there's a lot of things like, you know, talk about, you know, uh, the term uh, red sky at night, sailors delight, red sky at morn, sailors be warned. We just, you know, when you're at sea for a long period of time, you, you see things out there, you know, the whole, you know, seeing things in heaven and earth, Horatio, undreamed of. To see in, in one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movie, you know, the, the, that green flash, mm-hmm. uh, I try to remember which movie, which one of that was of the many that they made. Uh, that's real.
0: That's the Northern Lights, isn't
3: it? Well, what happens is when the sun goes down, you have you have uh, sunset, but you have nautical sunset. Hmm. It goes to a certain angle. So when the sun goes to a certain angle under the horizon, how the 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 light refracts through the atmosphere, suddenly you will get this this where the only the green spectrum comes through, just for a split second. Oh wow! And you get this flash. Yeah,
2: when we were in uh, San Diego, there was a photographer there. And that's what he specialized in, taking pictures of surfers with the green flash in the background. Oh,
3: that's, yeah, that's some, that's some serious timing and some serious, uh, you know, actually calculation of sunrise and sunset. One of my jobs in the Navy was navigator of a ship. So I got to learn all of this stuff. And uh, yeah, you could see how back in the day when you're doing celestial navigation, you're trying to figure out where you are by the noon site where you're, you know, I'm under the sky, I'm under the sun now, 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 you know, and then you take your time and you do all these calculations to figure out where you are.
1: Wow, that's so cool.
3: Yeah, so sailors back then, it was all like, okay, you know, the uh, you know Neptune or Poseidon. It was up to them if they lived or died.
1: Does that green flash have a name?
3: I knew you were going to ask me that, and <laughs> <laughs> cannot remember. It, it, there is an actual, there is a proper name for it. Okay, I'm going to Google. It. Now I feel like an idiot. I, I'll research it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: She does this all the time, Rob. Don't worry about it. It's all good. That's
3: that's fine. That's good. I knew <laughs> I knew it was going to happen. So far, twice. Twice I've been asked something. I'm like, oh, I have no idea, but I should I'll look it yeah. up. Look it up.
0: That's what we do Google. If you ever notice on the yeah, show, yeah, she yeah goes, my, here my, Google.
3: my credibility. I, is that my credibility? I hear smashing right. the ground. No, the she, does it. she does it to me too. Don't worry about it. But
2: <laughs> well, here you go. It's called the green flash. Yes. I know I just <laughs> No, there is a term for it. There actually is a
3: term for it. And I can't remember what yeah, it is. It says a
2: green flash or green ray. Yeah. But there you go. Green flash. We
0: won't call Ryan Reynolds on that one. There we go. <laughs> oh ouch. The Green Lantern. Yeah, everywhere. Green knows Lantern, that one. yes, yeah, exactly. The worst movie he's been in. And actually he even admits that. Yeah. Yes.
3: Yes. He sold his gin company. And I'm very upset. I just want to put throw that out there.
0: Yeah, what did he what what company was he he had?
3: He had uh, Aviation Gin.
0: Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. It's the
3: only non rum thing I'll drink. It's like it was aviation shit because it was actually, it was very tasty, but he just sold it to a big conglomerate.
0: But the cool thing about Ryan Reynolds, actually, I want to point this out uh, to people who don't even know this is that Ryan Reynolds used to be a bartender when he first started off uh, acting. And so during COVID, he actually donated money to the Canadian Bartenders Association and the, Mer- the North American one, like, well, the States version of it. And uh, I actually got a check during COVID. Uh no weekly Biweekly of fifty dollars, <laughs> thanks to thanks to Ryan Reynolds. So thank you, Ryan. He donated money to the to the association, and then they just spread it out over all their members. So it was very cool that he actually uh, thought of us during COVID. Cool. So that is some technical terms and some lingo, and uh, now we are all much wiser than we were an hour ago. So there we go. <laughs> uh, well, Paula, you're good over there. Yes, yes,
3: I feel much wiser. That's a load of codes, Codswallop, I say.
0: (laughs) So there's some information on uh, nautical terms and some pirate stuff. So guys, don't forget on September 19th, that is Talk Like a Pirate. So yes, go ahead and do that. I dare you to at work because I'm sure your boss is going to be like, what the heck is going on? And then you'll have to explain to him. But don't dress like a pirate. Uh, That could get you into some troubles. Uh, unless you're doing a reenactment like Rob's doing, that's a different story.
3: Oh, actually, I just realized that I never actually explained what talk, International Talk Like a Pirate Day was and how it started, and the fact that it's the, 20, the 25th anniversary of International Talk Like a Pirate Day.
0: So, did you actually know we've done this before? But actually, the original date for Talk Like a Pirate wasn't September 19th. No, it was 6th of June. Yeah, because D Day.
3: Yeah. They were, uh, so uh, Captain Slappy and Chum Bucket were playing, um, they were playing racquetball uh, on the 6th of June and they just started, they just started talking like a pirate. They thought this would be a great thing to do. So they said, okay, but obviously we shouldn't do it, you know, call it today. So they, they decided on the third the 19th of September, which was actually one of their exes' birthday or something. <laughs> um, and so that was in 1990, 1995, they started doing that. Then oh it was 2000. So they just kind of as a small group just kind of started doing it. But then 2002, there was uh, the syndicated columnist, Dave Barry found out mm-hmm. about it. And he wrote an article on it, which then went into syndicated uh, newspapers. And that's when it absolutely exploded. Is it said 25 years later, here we go. It's uh, international countries around the world all speak like pirates on the
0: 19th of September. And the cool thing, actually, I've done it, uh, I didn't do it this last year, but the year before, on Facebook, you can actually change your whole entire Facebook page to Pirate Talk. So everything that's posted in there is in Pirate Lingo. The only downside is how to turn it off. You have to understand Pirate Lingo to turn it off.
3: (laughs) That's outstanding, I say.
0: You can get stuck actually in Pirate Lingo, like going, great, now I don't know what to do.
3: Which is another thing that I said, once again, that's completely Disney-ized. eyes. is not how pirates actually spoke.
0: Yeah, exactly, yeah.
3: Sorry to ruin ruin another illusion.
0: <laughs> so, cool. So, there's some car- cool, like I said, pirate facts and some uh, naval uh, terminology. Thanks to Rob. Thank you, Rob, for doing that for us. That's awesome.
3: It was an honor and a pleasure.
2: I said, yeah, thanks a lot. This has been awesome.
3: No, oh, like I said, I mean... Um, you know, long time listener, first time caller, and it's been an absolute pleasure to have been a part of this.
1: I loved it. I must confess that I was, I am over the moon to have an actual listener do the show with us, especially. <laughs> I learned a lot today. It was very, very fun.
3: Oh, thank you.
1: Well, there we go. So cool. So let's tell everybody who we are. We
0: are dot .com. Oh, one word. And on that page, you will see this episode with Rob uh so rob i think what we're going to do is we're going to put in a link in there for your magazine article right I should remember correctly yep
3: that's very much so uh, Maybe we also put a link for the thousand islands pirate society
0: uh to check it out for sure we'll also have the episode uh information for this episode the recipe for this episode the rum runner so check that out uh we'll make that on our tiki party which we're going to have on saturday not for our listeners but just for us you know us guys yeah, sorry guys and anyways, uh, <laughs> on that note, uh, we also have our episode page our, uh, and our recipe page. There's lots of information under, guys. We've reformatted that. So basically, it's easy to navigate. Just basically click on whatever you want. It'll bring you down to the page where you want to go. And then on the right-hand, bottom right-hand corner, you'll see like an arrow, which brings you back to the top of the page. So it's super easy. We figured all that out. Uh, I didn't do it personally myself. I had a technician do it for me. But hey, you know, I'll take the credit for it. Sure, why not? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and then we also have our subscribe page. So please do subscribe. Um, please. Like Rob. Please. <laughs> I can tell you, it's a fun show to listen to. There we go. We got a thumbs up on that one. There we go. <laughs> so, how's it feel to be famous now, Rob?
3: <laughs> Outstanding. I feel it was over the moon. Like you said, over the moon. I have my uh, the full cannon shot. Everything is just fantastic.
0: Cool. Because your voice now will be around the world now. Yeah, I know.
3: it's crazy. Uh, I talk, Actually, I was talking to the editor of the magazine. So, what he wants to do is he'll put a he'll put in the magazine uh, an ad for the show too. Oh wow, amazing! See, I know all sorts of navy terms. I just don't know actually English words. That's my my thing. So.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> don't worry, that happens a lot on the show, so it's all good. Join my club. Oh, Every time I'm
3: talking, I think I say something. And like, oh, there's actually a nautical term for that. Why am I not using it? You know, it's
0: that's me with Portuguese. Okay. <laughs> cool. So I'm gonna go off and have a drink. I don't know what you guys are gonna do. Uh, I've been drinking and, uh, the whole time. I don't know
3: about you guys. <laughs> oh my
1: god!
3: <laughs> I made a very big drink. So my problem is I have to go to the head, which is the nautical term for bathroom. By the way, the head.
2: <laughs> and Mark's kind of quiet, so he must be drinking. Yes, I'm very quiet. I'm surrounded by rum.
3: You're here, here! Huzzah! Huzzah! I say. You and all your friends. Yes.
0: All right, guys. So, anyways, we're gonna go off. And uh, thank you for listening, guys. Stay tuned to the next show. And uh, again, thank you, Rob, for being on the show. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been fantastic. My wife is
3: like incredibly jealous, and you know, said all this years of theater, <laughs> doing this and that, is just all uh, great to do this. Why am I not doing it? Exactly. And basically, <laughs> is what she said. I want to do a podcast.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about you, but I got informed. Guys, hey, guys, where's my drink? Hey, folks, hey, how we doing? It's Craig. Whoa, no. Hey,
2: what? What?
0: I'm gonna start the show.
2: Okay.